Good morning and welcome to this week's public affairs program. I'm Amy Adams. Rick Martin, a local attorney, is this week's speaker. We're going to talk about artificial intelligence here today a little bit. And just so that you all aren't running for the door, it's not going to all be legalese and and legal. We're going to talk a little bit generally about AI. Uh, We will touch on some areas of intellectual property law, which which is my area of specialty. We're going to start off the uh, presentation. You get to listen to it, watch a nice video here while I be quiet for a few minutes. If you read, like, the plot line for Terminator, it's actually it's, it's actually pretty smart. Like, James Cameron wrote a pretty smart script there. It's like, well, how did Cyberdyne Systems develop? Miles Bennett Dyson. He's the director of special projects at Cyberdyne Systems Corporation. In a few months, he creates a revolutionary type of microprocessor. In three years, Cyberdyne will become the largest supplier of military computer systems. Uh, so its primary thing is to def- defend against cyber attacks. This new computer virus is a tricky bastard. It's infected half of the civilian internet as well as secondary military apps. So develop an AI that can defend against cyber attacks. Sounds Sir, the Pentagon has proposed that we use our AI to scan the entire infrastructure, search and destroy for any hint of the virus. Well, once the connection's made, it should only be a matter of minutes. The system goes online on August 4th, 1997. Becomes self-aware at 2.14 a.m. Eastern Time, August 29th. What the AI did is, in order to defend itself, it propagated throughout the world to keep an eye on things, see what was going on in which we put everything from satellites to missile silos under the control of a single computer system. The most intelligent system ever conceived. They didn't realize that it was cyber, that it was Skynet that was propagating through all these systems. And they said, okay, uh, there seems to be something propagating through all these systems. Skynet, you need to stop it. You need to end it. Skynet fully operational, processing at 60 teraflops a second. Sir, it should take less than a minute to find the virus and kill it. And Skynet said, oh, you've asked me to destroy myself. Uh, you are the enemy. You must be destroyed. That's how uh, Terminator actually goes. Judgment Day. The day the human race was nearly destroyed by the weapons they built to protect themselves. Judgment Day is inevitable. Have you ever been shopping on something on Amazon? And then you went to your Gmail, and there's an ad for it, right? Every time you like something, every picture you take and share, every time you click through something, everything you purchase, which credit card you use, or if you use PayPal, is being recorded and tracked so people can figure out what to market to you, what Netflix knows about you. I know what you watch. I know when you watch it. I know when you start a series. I know if you finish a series. I know what you liked and didn't like because we put three stars, five stars. We actually put thumbs up, thumbs down. Big data. We have stockpiles of data. We don't necessarily know how they're correlated, but we're saving it all. We're storing it all. All of these devices, even our cars, they have system logs. They can all produce data. Does anybody know the NSA is storing every communication, every cell phone conversation, every email you have in the $2 billion facility in Utah? I swear I don't believe in aliens. I'm just telling you what's actually happening in the world. Artificial intelligence is what I'm here to talk about. This is taking all of that data. Data is the fuel of machine learning. How computers learn about what they're doing, what they need to do next, how they should act, how they can win games. So if my choices are already being selected and filtered, the news I choose to read, the routes I choose to drive, the movies that are being chosen for me, if my decisions are being based on what I read and experience, am I already living in an artificial intelligence world?
in about a couple of decades, but certainly within the lifetime of most of us here today, we're going to see an artificial general intelligence, one that has the capacity of all of us combined. And that will be like sharing the planet with a new life form. A couple of years ago, an amazing thing happened in the field of game playing, which is a subpart of artificial intelligence. A program called AlphaGo. And AlphaGo was given all of the accumulated knowledge about Go. Go is computationally far more difficult than chess. And people thought, no way can an artificial intelligence take on a human. This is one of the things that only we can do. And lo and behold, the artificial intelligence beat the human. After thousands of years of playing the game, humans had never even considered it was like playing with an alien. But given how valuable intelligence and automation are, we will continue to improve our technology if we are at all able to. What could stop us from doing this? How bad it would have to be to prevent us from making improvements in our technology permanently. At a certain point, we will build machines that are smarter than we are. And once we have machines that are smarter than we are, they will begin to improve themselves. We don't program the machines, they learn by themselves. So we, we want to do this. I mean, we, we have problems that we desperately need to solve. Then we have to admit that we're in the process of building some sort of God. Now would be a good time to make sure it's a God we can live with. Jesus. New technology brings great promise, but also great disruption. We're familiar with drones, but the actual button that says I should drop this bomb it still has human intervention. They're now trying to prevent those going to the mind of a computer. Say, well, I see an intruder, I, I should shoot this person. Strange thing is, you know who leads in the development of uh, autonomous weapon systems? The United States. Do you know who then is following suit because we've led the charge? China, Russia. Language creation. So they had AI bots actually talk to each other and chat to each other. They started talking in their own language. They were still using English, but then they started to use their own manipulation of English to actually make it faster to talk to each other. And if we build machines that are more intelligent than we are, they will very likely explore the spectrum in ways that we can't imagine and exceed us in ways that we can't imagine. The AI train isn't going to stop at the human station. It's going battling right through to a destination that we cannot even understand. What we don't get to do is choose not to have the technology. Once it's invented, it stays invented. You cannot put the genie back in the bottle. If intelligence is just a matter of information processing, and we continue to improve our machines, we will produce some form of superintelligence. We will build machines that are so much more competent than we are that the slightest divergence between their goals and our own could destroy us. It is your destiny. Scary, isn't it? Um, even, even though the possibility of artificial intelligence, and, and it's much more than a possibility now, it's a reality, uh, is a little lot scary, and there are lots of uh, potential misuses for it. There's a lot of good uses for it, too. So I want to start off just a little bit, uh, kind of a little background, some definitions for you before we get too deep into this presentation as to what is AI. And there's a couple different things. So artificial intelligence, it's, it's a term that's used to describe machines that can perform ta tasks that are ordinarily done by humans or require human intelligence. Uh, visual perception, speech recognition, things of that nature are uh, some of the examples. Uh, as far as a brief history of AI, I think the, the and, and there's some 
conflict as to where the beginnings of it can be traced back to, but I think some people trace it all the way back to 1932 when the mechanical brain was invented, and it was just basically something that processed information and put the information on a punch card for data. From there, in the 60s, the first chat bot was created in 1966, and the development of AI was pretty slow through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and really, I would say in the last 10 or 15 years, has exploded onto the scene. Apple released Siri in 2011. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but it was. A man by the name of Ian Goodfellow in 2014 developed a generative adversarial network. Basically, he developed two networks to compete against each other to see who could be more creative. And then, of course, we have the OpenAI's release of ChatGPT in 2022, which I think has really been what's driven a lot of the conversation on AI in the last 12 months or so. So types of AI, and again, there's really three types, generative AI at the bottom. There's just sort of a subset, but you have narrow AI, and that's AI that's designed to accomplish a specific task or a limited range of tasks. When you get into general AI, that's something that's designed more to replicate human thinking and perform human tasks. And super AI, which, at least as far as I know, we have not achieved this yet. And there's some debate on whether we've achieved general or strong AI yet, but the super AI is AI that has surpassed human capabilities and human intelligence in all areas. So your generative AI is essentially, and that's what ChatGPT is. BARD, I think, is Google's version of that, and there's several others out there. But those are essentially tools that you can input instructions into, and it will, based on the information that it has learned, actually generate content. So again, there's some debate as to whether that falls in the general or narrow AI. I would argue, I think, that that's more general AI. You're giving it instructions, and it is performing a task as a human would if you gave that same human an instruction to perform a task. Basically how it works, you've got a couple different things. You've got machine learning, deep learning, and neural networks. But essentially how these work, or how AI works, is with the Internet, there's just a wealth of information that's available out there. And these machine learning techniques basically enable computers to scour the Internet and gather this information or data. We've been hearing probably for a decade or more that data is king and everybody's paying money for data. We now know why data has been so valuable and what people are doing with that data. And again, they're using it, and we see it in our everyday lives, and we'll talk about that a little more when we get to the examples. But yeah, deep learning, another version of that, and these are the algorithms that are capable of allowing the AI to then, based on the data that it's gathered, to perform these tasks. And just the neural networks are the means with which everything is connected together within the programming of the system to allow the AI to do that. And it's essentially an attempt to mimic the way the brain works 
in order to uh, put things together, but do it by uh, machines. So talking about s several advantages of artificial intelligence, uh, of course your efficiency and automation. It, it can generate uh, content far faster uh, than a human being. Uh, it's got the ability to uh, store and, and pull from more, much more data than, than a human could ever uh, possibly digest in, in, in the same amount of time. And uh, it can automate very simple tasks. It can make uh, you know, tasks for humans easier. Uh, it, it's good at generating documents. It's good at generating at least first drafts of documents. Uh, data, data analysis and pattern recognition, again, because it's scoured, mil I'd say millions, billions of uh, pieces of data on the Internet uh, and compared those and contrasted those and done all of the data and analysis. It can very quickly compare uh, things together and determine patterns. Uh, it's available 24-7, <clears throat> and it's, it's always learning and adapting. Uh, so, so those are some of the advantages of it. Uh, disadvantages, of course, um, potentially job displacement. Uh, will AI, uh, you know, make human humans obsolete in some ways? And, that, and to some extent, this is, I think, with every new advancement in technology, I think this has been a concern. I don't think that it's going to be that big of a concern. You know, the industrial revolution came around in machines and. We've been using robots in manufacturing for years. Uh, you know, I, I think that people will adapt. People will, uh, you know, there, there will be other jobs, uh, but some jobs will be obsolete because machines can do them better and faster than humans. Uh, so, you know, the initial costs and maintenance of the systems uh, are, are some potential disadvantages. Uh, probably one of the biggest disadvantages uh, would be just a lack of emotional intelligence. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's a machine that's that's learned just based on what it sees on the internet. Uh, it doesn't have, you know, a heart. It doesn't have a a, a true brain or the ability to sense uh, nonverbal cues, if you, for example, or, or things of that nature. So, so you know, from 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 an emotional intelligence standpoint, you know, AI, and, and who knows, it may get there. Uh, but at least as as of this time. Uh, that's certainly a big drawback to it. Another drawback is that that, that it does make some mistakes, uh, and, and they're finding uh, what they call in, in AI terms uh, hallucinations. That, that uh, oddly enough, and that's what they refer to it as uh, hallucinations, uh, where AI will—I mean, it's got all of this data at its fingertips, but if you ask it to perform a task, sometimes it'll just make things up. Uh, there, there's there was a Incident. I think it was last year uh, that an attorney uh, used, and I don't know if it was ChatGPT, but he used uh, uh, ChatGPT or another uh, generative AI tool to generate a brief uh, for uh, to, to file with the court. And rather than you know spot or than checking the brief and making sure it was accurate, you know, I guess this guy was just in a hurry. Uh, and he filed the brief with the court, and lo and behold, the uh, generative AI made up cases that didn't exist, made up fact patterns that didn't exist, and uh, the attorney was certainly sanctioned for his uh, conduct and, and could potentially be disbarred under those circumstances. 
so it's, it's something that you have to watch out for. It's, again, it's not perfect, and it, it can make just make stuff up at random. Uh, dangers, and again, that that would be an, a, a potential danger uh, as well. That that the hallucinate the hallucinations, uh, ethical concerns, um, <clears throat> and and transparency are probably another issue too. Uh, students writing papers using uh, generative AI, uh, attorneys doing briefs using generative AI without disclosing that they're using uh, a generative AI is, is, is problematic because they're passing it off as their own work uh, sometimes, and, and, and that can create some ethical concerns as well. Uh, again, there sometimes can be bias in the algorithms that, that it's using, so it, it it may not consider all angles. It may, you know, it may be a little bit narrow, more narrowly focused than, than it should be or needs to be. Uh, and lastly, you know, as we saw in the opening video, and again, oddly enough, this is one that if you listen to enough information on the internet, surprisingly, more people are concerned, are legitimately concerned about this. You saw Elon Musk talking about it. Stephen Hawking. I've heard a number of other notable scientists and, and thinkers that have some serious concerns about autonomous weapon systems uh, should AI be weaponized uh, and <clears throat> which you know if, if anyone's seen the Terminator movie uh, that's exactly what happened there which side note there it's, it's, it's for those of you that grew up in the 80s like I did it's interesting to see how some of these movies science, what were science fiction movies in the 80s have now kind of predicted uh, things that are that are coming true, albeit later than, uh, in some cases a little later than than um, predicted. If you recall in the clip there that we opened up with in the Terminator series, they talked about the uh, Skynet going, you know, becoming uh, conscious and becoming self-aware in, I believe, sometime August of 1997. Uh, well, we're several, you know, 27 years past that, and that has not happened yet, but. You know, with the advances of AI just in the last year and the last decade, uh, I think we're getting, you know, as every minute passes, I think we're getting closer and closer to an AI becoming aware and becoming uh, self-sustaining pot potentially. So uh, with autonomous weapons, that could be a problem. Uh, the other uh, 80s movie that I was going to refer to, if anybody remembers another uh, 80s movie, uh, Back to the Future. Again, we don't have flying cars and time machines, but they did predict that the uh, Cubs, I think, would win the World Series in 2015 or whatever year he was there. What I think they were off just by a couple years. The Cubs did win a World Series. So uh, maybe someone will do that uh, part two of that series and have the Cubs winning the World Series in another 100 years again. Who knows? <clears throat> Ah, that's coming from a Cardinals fan. So, uh, so Im impact on society. Obviously, uh, AI is going to have a very big impact on on our society as far as an economic impact. Uh, and these are numbers that I pulled. Global global revenues uh, associated with AI, the software, the hardware. Uh, I mean, the numbers are astronomical, and it's it, it's expected to grow and grow and grow. I read a story this morning, front page of the Wall Street Journal was talking about, and, and Philip mentioned that to me before before I got up here to talk, that uh, the outlook for the economy in 2024 is very positive, and they're attributing that in part to the rise of AI. And, and the 
2023 finishing better than expected is they're giving a lot of credit to the rise of AI. And I think one of the reasons for that really is just the efficiencies of it, the fact that you can use an AI model to do something, and instead of something that might take you five or six hours, you might knock it out in an hour or two or even less, depending on what the project is. So it does make it much, it does allow people to be much more productive. $15 trillion to the global economy by 2030 is what they're predicting. So definitely something that we're just on the early stages of, and I think over the course of the next decade is going to grow and grow and grow. The social impact, yes, so the prejudices again. And what I talked about before a couple slides back, that to some extent it's scouring things that are out there, and it's scouring everything that's out there, good, bad, whatnot. So it's always possible that the AI on its own could develop some prejudices or some biases based on the information that it's looked at and things that it's put together. So those are some certain social impact that's there and a potential danger to it as well. And again, from an educational impact, I think I touched on it earlier, the risk of cheating students using AI to write papers without disclosing that the AI wrote the paper is a potential issue. But it also does present a lot of very unique and beneficial opportunities to teachers in support for them. Again, another tool that a teacher could use potentially to grade papers, to do other things, to generate exams, to generate questions for students, to generate content and material that can save the teacher valuable time. But again, like every other case, you've got to check it. So just looking at some case studies, some real-world examples of where we're seeing AI here today, the health care industry is probably one of the biggest areas that we're seeing this in, and I expect this to continue to grow and grow and grow over the next several years. I know one area is that they're using AI technology to read scans, MRIs, CAT scans, X-rays, and the properly trained AI tools apparently can do this a thousand times faster than a human can read these and make diagnoses. So whether that's a legitimate substitute for a human reading those, I don't know. I know that the tool is out there and available, but certainly something maybe that they can use as a tool to save them time in reading them as well. But again, I don't think it's at the level that it would be a valid substitute, but I think certainly a tool that a radiologist or someone could use in order to up their productivity as well. Finance, so how many of you have gotten a text message or an email or something about your credit card saying, hey, we detected this activity on your credit card, just making sure that was you? So that's AI at work there too. There are AI models that are, again, looking at your spending patterns, looking at your 
things that you're doing. And when they when when something comes up that seems outside the norm for you or something that that uh, the AI predicts that might not be something that you uh, charged on your credit card, that's what triggers that notice. So so those those kinds of programs are working in the background in, in, in the finance industry to protect against fraud. Uh, and then obviously transportation, we've got the self-driving cars, uh, which seems a little ironic that Elon Musk is, is concerned with AI, but he's, he's probably one of the leading users of it in the uh, self-driving uh, for the Tesla vehicles. But uh, that's certainly something that uh, is another area where, where we're seeing a lot of use of it, and I think in all three of these areas, it's just going to continue to grow. <clears throat> okay, now we get to my, my, my uh, area of expertise, intellectual property issues. Uh, and I don't need slides to, to, to do this one, so I can pretty well talk about it. So intellectual property, let me just give you a brief background of what that is. So intellectual property is basically uh, creations of the mind. So it, it covers patents, trademarks, copyrights, and trade secrets. So when we're talking about uh, AI in general, uh, patents, copyrights are, are, are the primary issues where AI comes into play. And we're, we're seeing a lot of activity in this area uh, in intellectual property, particularly in the copyright area, but also in the patent area. A couple things to, to that, that are really kind of driving things in the IP area are, uh, are these creations protectable? So if I use AI to uh, write a blog post, or if I use AI to uh, you know, invent something, if AI, you know, if I give AI some instructions and it invents uh, some new machine or new process, uh, is, is, can, can I patent that? Is that patentable or is it copyrightable? And, and so far at this point, the copyright office and the patent office have both said no. Uh, those things are not protectable uh, because for copyright protection and patent protection to exist, there has to be human input. Uh, so, you know, copyright requires an author, and the law says that author has to be a human. Uh, patents require an inventor, and, and the patent office and the courts have determined that an inventor uh, is a human being. So a uh, an artificial intelligence machine that... that uh, writes a blog post, that is not protectable. So if, if you're using AI to write your blog posts, uh, that blog post you know, is not protectable and others are free to copy it and reuse it as, as they see fit, at least from a copyright law uh, standpoint. So uh, something to be aware of. Now, now you get into the issues where, and, and this is very common that, that Nothing. Rarely is anything 100%, um, you know, machine machine done. It had some human in instructions, some human input, maybe some human editing after the fact. Uh, so the courts are still wrestling with, you know, what is that level? You know, what level of human input is required in order to make something protectable under copyright law? And generally, without getting into the weeds of things and the cases of things, uh, the human input has to have enough significant creativity uh, to rise to the level of authorship that would allow it to be protectable under copyright law. And, and there's got to be a disclaimer also, if you want to protect this, uh, of anything that was generated by, by AI. You can't claim 
that part of it as, as your, for your protection. So anything that's generated by the AI, if the AI generates, you know, a, a picture or a piece of, uh, or a painting or a piece of artwork, uh, and then you tweak it or make some changes or do some things to it, maybe your changes are, are protectable, uh, but the underlying work itself that was created by AI is not. Uh, the other issues with IP are, you know, really from, from the, from, from the infringement standpoint, does, um, you know, AI generated works or d d does, and there are at least two, if not three, and I think one was filed last week, uh, lawsuits pending against, uh, OpenAI and other sources for uh, these bots scouring this information on the internet with the purpose of making, basically what it, what it does technologically is it scans it, it makes, it copies all of this information when it's doing this uh, process of, of scouring, the, scrubbing the internet for information. Uh, and so the issue has now become is that initial copying of it for use later on uh, in the uh, bot copyright infringement. And again, there's some differing opinions on that. There are at least two or three cases working their way through the court, so we're going to kind of have to uh, hold tight and see what happens there. Uh, I could go in, into detail on the arguments and, and su such either way, but uh, I'm pretty sure we don't have time for that. So uh, that's just a little bit of the uh, intellectual property issues. Uh, just to make sure we have time for questions and everything, I'll move on to the next one. Of course, you got your ethical concerns. <clears throat> uh, privacy is, is, is a big one. Um, one. One thing, I've seen lots of, and again, I'll, I'll use the uh, attorney drafting the brief maybe as an example, or, um, you know, I, I've seen, I mean, I, I write patent applications, and I've, I've gotten emails from companies uh, suggesting that we can use uh, AI to generate patent applications. I'm a little wary of it right now and I haven't tried it. The main reason, and again, you, anytime you're using uh, something that's using generative AI, which is, whether it's uh, BARD, chat, GPT, or another source, from a privacy perspective, you need, you need to be aware that anything you're feeding into that is probably not conf not going to be uh, maintained in confidence. It's not going to be uh, private. It's going to be potentially available for sharing, and it's basically getting dumped into their database of information. Unless you are uh, with a specific uh, AI that has privacy restrictions to it and has uh, those limitations, be very careful what you put in there because you could be violating, you know, privacy to, if you owe a duty of privacy to a customer, to a client, to, you know, a friend, anyone, putting it into these uh, systems to try and generate a document or generate, uh, you know, some solution uh, may waive the privacy rights to that. So be very careful about that. Uh, again, the transparency and accountability, um, you know, I, I think there's a big issue there with uh, people claiming work to be their own when it's not their own, when it was generated uh, by a, a uh, an AI. So it, it's 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 good to be accountable. And I know a lot of, I think some courts even are adopting local rules that 
specify that if you use uh, a generative AI tool in putting together a brief, and, and hopefully if you do, you reviewed it and checked it, but even if you use it to generate that first draft, uh, that you then you know fine tune and double check and make sure it's accurate. Uh, some courts are adopting rules that say you have to disclose uh, that you have used uh, an AI to help create that. And, and I think that's just to me it's a good practice, regardless. If it, particularly if you're if you're using this for work that you're doing for clients, for example, I think it's best to be upfront whether there's a, a, a written author obligation or not, to at least advise them that, hey, we are using uh, a, a, an AI to do this, and, and if they have an objection, don't do it. Thanks for joining us for this week's public affairs program. From all of us from Midwest Communications in Evansville, Indiana, have a great week.